bring greetings to you this morning in the name of our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one whom we were singing, lest I forget that act of love that he completed on Calvary. That's the purpose and reason for our service this morning. This morning, I like to think about nine perspectives of communion. Now, I know they tell us the sermon shouldn't have more than four points, but I have nine this morning, and actually they're in an acrostic form. The first letter of uh, the letter of communion is my nine points. Each letter of the word communion is one of my points. So I like to think of them as nine perspectives, and uh, want to uh, draw your attention to the aspect of what communion means to us as followers of Christ and believers. The first one, of course, is C, and that's Christ. I like to think about Christ this morning. Christ means anointed or Messiah, and that's indeed what this entire service, the focus of this entire service is is about Christ and uh, what he has done. If you actually think about it, Christ is, is actually more of a title than a name. And uh, as you think about it being anointed one or being anointed as king, um, you know, it gives a job description of what he accomplished. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, I'd like to just draw your attention to Acts chapter 4. I was reminded as I thought of, of that dimension of Christ, Acts chapter 4. Very familiar verses in verses 10 through 12, Peter preaching there in in Pentecost. And he said, Be it known unto you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which the set at naught of you, of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you look at what Peter was saying, there is quite a, um, a lot of content there. And he says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus, the uh, Messiah, the anointed one, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here. We have no other place to stand this morning than in Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his own words, turning back to John chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Remember, I said it's a job description. There he clearly says, Father, I have finished the work that you have commissioned me to do. This uh, John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers, for you and I today in our 21st century. If you read through that entire chapter, it includes everybody that has named the name of Christ, everybody who has chosen to follow him. And I like the way that he uh, 
very concisely says this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's Jesus in his own words saying that he has accomplished that work, that task that he was sent to do. Christ, capital C for the first part of communion. It's because of him. He's the one that initiated and, and purposed this service here this morning. Also thought of, of Peter's confession back in Matthew chapter 16. Just turn to it uh, quickly. Peter had in Matthew 16 verses 13 through 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Notice verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Notice that. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Peter's confession. Jesus' question. And I believe that question comes to us today. Who do you say? Who do I say that Jesus is? Dwight already turned to and read the verses there in Luke. I'd like to just... Turn to Luke verse 20, Luke 22 verse 20. Notice, likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Christ, the anointed one, Christ anointed king, shed his blood on Calvary and established a new covenant, a new testament. The old Sinai covenant was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. And he introduced the new covenant, the New Testament, which was accomplished by his shedding, by the shedding of his blood. Questions I think we need to ask ourselves as we look at this first point of Christ. Is he my personal anointed king? Remember how he prayed in in John 17. He's interested that each one of us have a personal relationship with him, a personal relationship with God. Is he my personal anointed king? Have I accepted his redemptive work in my life? Second question I may ask myself, so if I anoint him as my king, if I anoint him as king of my life, what are my actions? Am I acting and living and looking more like him? I'd like to read, with those thoughts, I'd like to read in Ephesians chapter um, chapter 1, beginning at, at verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 10, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his, of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heaven, in the heavenly places. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, as it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, that's a lot of content there, but talk about God, Christ, working in our lives personally. We'd, it's not something we can conjure up in our own strength. We need the power of God. It mentions the power of God there, working in our lives and making us into something that will bring glory to him. He certainly is has the capabilities. Our, our problem is to surrender. Our problem is to yield to his power. God is a gentleman we sometimes hear that refer. He doesn't force himself on us. But we need to surrender. We need to yield to his power if we're going to be coming and growing into his likeness. The second word, second point, second letter of the word communion is O. And I've, I've given that perspective as oft, O-F-T. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... We're going to be paging around here quite a bit to get to all of my perspectives here. But this is the uh, perspective in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses uh, 25 and uh, 26. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft, now notice that, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Till he come. No explicit instructions nowhere in the scripture how often we ought to be doing this or observing this. Dwight mentioned it's a year, which is not our typical interval of observance. We typically would do it twice a year. Some churches do it every Sunday. I'm not here to say one's right or wrong. The thing that I want to emphasize about the oft is what Jesus emphasized. He says, as oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me and in his return. That he's coming again. That, I think, needs to be our focus. Uh, our focus, as oft as we eat this bread, drink this cup, is that we, knew, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is coming again. And Dwight mentioned those verses in the, in the reading. That he will no more, he will no longer observe this until he comes and we share it together in eternity with him. So our focus needs to be on his second coming again, our anticipation, our looking forward to that. 
And really, the only way to be ready for that is to accept the the redemptive shed blood of his own Calvary and have symbolically, as we might say, the, the blood applied to the doorposts of our hearts, even as the children of Israel had to do in their departure from Egypt. They had the blood of the the lamb applied to the doorpost and lintel of their hearts. As I think about focusing on on the return of the Lord, the question I ask myself is, how should that affect our daily lives as we think about his return? Um, You know, it's it's important because we sometimes get so temporal-focused, so now-focused on Oh, what's happening to me now? What's happening today? What's going to happen next week? But you know, when the Lord returns, that all takes second place, if not further down the line yet. Jesus is, is instructing us that as often as we observe this service here this morning, breaking the bread, drinking the juice, it's a reminder that he is coming back again. I believe it's important that we stay up to date in our relationship with Christ and in, with our fellow man as well. And I don't think that should be reduced to just a twice-a-year experience. It ought to be a daily experience at best. We need to be up to date in our relationship with him. My third perspective is the aspect of memory. The second, third letter is M. And I'm still in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reading verses 24 and 25 again. Uh, you know, if you notice that, he says to both uh, emblems that we have in observance here, the bread and the juice, he says, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus knew, God knew of our inclination as finite human minds that we are tend and we tend to are tend to be forgetful and, and prone to forget. And, and, you know, he says it twice there, twice in relation to the bread and the cup as we practice this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember, memory. There's several things that I think we can think about, things we can do to help us remember. First of all, I think we need to think. Now, that sounds like a very basic thing. We say we're always thinking. Well, yeah, we are, but what are we thinking about? Jesus says we need to think about what he, what happened, what this represents. We need to think about that. Meditate on what Jesus has done. What if there was no way back to God? And the song writer talks about that. Suppose God had searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to die. But there was one that was willing to go to Calvary and pay that price. And that was his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Think about it. The second thing is things that we're thankful for. At least this is the way I find it. Things that we're thankful for are things that I tend to remember. Thank God for this service this morning. God knew we needed this service. And we should partake of it with thankful hearts. We should partake of it with thankful hearts and gratitude for what he has done. Thank God for this service today. Think about it next week. Think about it next month. In the interval that we do not observe it. Third thing. We need to talk about it. I think Ken mentioned uh, praising the Lord on Wednesday evening. You know, how often do we talk? How often do we give testimony? How often do we praise the Lord for what he has done and what he means to, to you? What's his experience? What's your relationship like? We need to talk about it. We need to give testimony.
Those things were all T's, think, think, and talk. The fourth one is not a T, it's write it down. Writing something down, uh, and the older I get, the more I have to write things down. Because it, it goes forgotten. If I, if I go to town without a list, but you know, when it comes to spiritual things, I think it's important that we, we write things down. It'll, it'll, it'll stick with us. It'll stay longer. Memory. And that's one thing that as you get older, it, it tends to decline. I, what portion of our, uh, of our gray matter do we, is dedicated to memory? <laughs> and I suppose that varies with people. Some statistics came up with 20%, and I don't know if that's correct or not. I'm not here to refute that. It's probably not enough. <laughs> we tend to forget too often. But again, remember those, those tips. Think, thank, talk, and write will help us to get that etched into our brain cells so that we remember what Christ has done for us. The fourth letter is M, members. I'd like to turn to John 13. Verses 34 and 35. The M in communion here is for members in verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now that's quite an assignment. Jesus said, I want you to love one another your fellow mankind, as I have loved you. Would I be willing to give my life for my brother or sister in the Lord? By this shall all men know. It's our identity marker. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Well, there are different parts. As I look back through the audience, I see each of you as parts of the body, the church, but Christ is the head. The Greek word exousios, that church is oftentimes translated from the New Testament, means called out ones, Uh, assembly or congregation. It has nothing to do with a building or a structure in reality. It's talking about lives. It's talking about people. You are the body of Christ this morning. You are members of the body of Christ, and you are Members that are, ought to be alive and functional and contributing to the work of, of God's kingdom. And I want to say thank you to each one of you as members this morning for what you have done in the work of Christ. God will bless you for that. Thinking further about members, second, first Corinthians 12, 18, and I'll just refer to that verse, I won't turn to it, but it talks about setting the different members. And I, to me that's precious because each one of you are here because of God. No other reason. Well, there may be some superficial reasons. Maybe you happen to marry into this church. <laughs> or there may be other temporal reasons, but I still believe God played a part in that. God played a part in that. And God has set the members. It's the word that he, Paul, uses there. God has set the members, each one of us, for a particular purpose and reason. Now, that shouldn't help me in relationship, getting along, to realize that God has placed you here for a particular time, for a particular purpose. God has set the members. 
you might think, well, yeah, I made the decision. Well, you did. But on the other hand, God has worked in your life. If you're a follower of his, if you're a child of his, you're seeking his will, then you're here this morning, a part of this body of believers, because God has set the members here. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Familiar verse. I should be able to quote it. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I look at that verse and I realize that regardless what my accomplishments are, regardless of what work or task I'm called to, it is only in humility that I am functional and of any worth, any value in God's purposes and kingdoms. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has given us his grace. God has given us his salvation. It's only because of the work of Jesus Christ that we are where we're at today. The fifth perspective is that of you, union. And I like to think of uniting in Christ this morning. We are united in Christ this morning as our king. Someone, I didn't check this out. Someone has mentioned that in Christ is mentioned somewhere around 90 times. In the scripture. As I was thinking about united in Christ, union in Christ, communion, union in Christ, you know, I thought an earthly example helps us to understand perhaps more about what we expect and anticipate of a union. We, we talk about the marriage union. And what, what do we understand about the marriage union? Well, we live together. We habitate together. We talk together. We work together. We eat together. We share our ideals and goals. That's what the marriage union is all about. Should be all about. Now, if you want to apply those different functions to your union with Christ, is he abiding in your heart? Is he living within your heart by the through the presence of his Holy Spirit? Is he abiding? We can turn there to John 15, and he talks about in the vine, in the branches, the attachment, the importance of of him indwelling us. How often do we talk together? How often do we work together with Christ? Today, we eat together, in a sense. How about our ideals and goals? Are they, have we discussed them with him? How does my relationship in union with Christ compare to a marriage relationship? You know, the church is considered the bride of Christ. And someday there will be a a heavenly feast where that will be consummated. He, the bridegroom, the church, the people of Christ, the bride, and a wedding feast prepared that will be beyond our imagination here in this life. The sixth perspective is N, and uh, I struggled with that one just a little bit because uh, the only thing I could think of was needed examination, and that is certainly a very vital and functional part of communion. 
And Dennis very aptly shared that last Sunday. Needed examination. We need to look within ourselves. And it talks about self-examination. How do I, we examine ourselves? Just a few points here. How do I, we examine ourselves? I believe if we turn to James, we can see God gives us instructions how we ought to examine ourselves. He tells us to look into the mirror of God's word and allow that to show us who we really are. You know, there's there's parts of my life that I, I cannot see, and I need the mirror of God's word to reveal that to me. I need the brotherhood as a body of believers to tell me, hey, that looks a little out of place. And I'm suggesting that we do this in a daily practice. The other aspect is I think of being needed examination is I believe we need to be moldable as God's spirit. God the potter, Isaiah talks about him as being the potter and we the clay. We're so small, so finite, so insignificant in relation to God and his wisdom and his ability to work anything productive out of our lives. But So we need to be moldable. We need to be yielded to him as God's spirit speaks to us through his word the things that our lives are in need of. Seventh letter is that of I, illustration. You know, this; these emblems are uh, an illustration of, of the broken body and the shed blood, the great grape juice, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I think it's a very perfect illustration. I don't think we could have improved on it if, if we would have tried to. Uh, as I think of an illustration, you know, it's an example to make clear, to clarify. We call it Communion and ordinance, which is a an earthly expression or experience with something spiritual and heavenly attached to it. So I thought about illustrations. I thought of many times Jesus in his earthly ministry used illustrations for the crowds, the multitudes, to understand what he was treat, what he was teaching them. Sometimes they were so, as I would have been too, so dense, so blind to the truths that he was trying to convey to them, or that he was conveying to them, but they were not receiving them. They were not understanding them. There were different times they'd say, can you explain this further? His disciples would say, tell us some more. They'd ask some more about it later. Jesus talked about sheep and shepherd, a natural illustration, talking about our relationship to God. Talked about branches and husbandmen. I already mentioned that one. Talked about different types of soil. Things that they would understand, illustrations that would help them to understand the truths that he was teaching them. Talked about building houses with good foundations. Those are all illustrations that Jesus used in his earthly ministry to help us to understand and and grasp the truth of the, the truths that he was, that we need, that we're so much in need of. So isn't it only natural that he gave us a natural illustration here this morning of communion? to illustrate our relationship to him and to each other as a body of believers. I think it's so fitting. The eighth letter, O, observe, is what I've assigned to that letter, observe. I believe we need to do this literally. As I thought about observing communion, I thought, well, what if we just talked about it? What if I didn't bring any bread and grape juice this morning? And we just talk about it, how wonderful it could be. Or, uh, 
you know, isn't it more practical? Isn't it more applicable? Isn't it more impressionable if we actually do it, observe it? First John chapter 2, as I think about observing it. You know, and I think that's, this is a truth that we, First John chapter uh, 2, verses 4 to 6, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. You might say, what am I trying to bring out here? It's the fact that I I believe God is, is calling us to literal obedience and observance of this experience. We can talk about it. We can talk about the Christian life. And that need, that's true for all of Christianity. You know, we can, we can read the Bible and, and we can talk about it, but unless we put it in flesh and live it out, it really is, is pretty empty. God, I believe, is expecting us to literally observe this ordinance this morning. Not just simply talk about it. God expects us to, to do it. And we could go to the foot washing expression as well. You know, that's, and there's many people fault that and say, well, just a, a tradition. Well, it is a tradition. But it, and it needs to be lived beyond the experience that we, we do here this morning. And there will probably be some instruction on that further later. But it's still something that I believe has merit in observing. So I thought about observing. I thought about different perspectives. There's you and I as members of the body. We observe it. We actually take part of it. I thought about younger children observing that and how that impresses them. I still remember Isaac Good, our deacon at Red Run. I never actually partook of communion at that little country church uh, in Lancaster County, but we went there till I was probably 10, 11, I'm not sure. And uh, he was a deacon, and he'd, he'd bring the, the bread up here to the pulpit, and he that pulpit was bigger. But I still, it's, it's still, I can still see him doing it. And, uh, you know, it left an impression on me. I believe our, our children are impressed by our literal observance of this commandment of God. And there's value in literally observing it. There's sometimes visitors that observe that. We've never seen that. We've actually never seen people uh, do what you're doing. There's several have observed and shared about the foot washing uh, aspect of it. Well, the ninth letter and last letter is N, and that's the natural emblems, the bread and the grape juice. And again, you know, what more practical elements or emblems could Jesus, God, have chosen? Something that's very affordable. Something that's very down to earth. Something that's very basic. You know, the bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ and us being united together into the bread. He has the bread of life, the juice, grape juice as the blood, shed blood of Christ. So I thought about that. I thought about the, the chorus that we sometimes sing. And that's the ultimate focus of our um, observance of that this morning is, is, is the expression of that little chorus that we sing so many times. I'd like to sing that just now. 
Uh, would you be broken as bread? <clears throat> would you be poured thy perfect will? My desire is that God would bless you and I today with a good communion and that we would truly understand his will for our lives as we're broken and uh, blended into his perfect will for our lives today. God bless you.